0: today about uh, Luke chapter 1. So hop over to Luke 1. We were just in Luke 2, so Luke 1 shouldn't be a problem to find. Luke chapter 1, um, there's a time of year when I ask a certain question a lot, and maybe you do, do too. Um, and uh, as we think about Christmas and I think about what it means to really have Christmas, this is a, 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 a rendering of the night Jesus was born. There's a lot that's uh, inaccurate with it, but that's kind of how we think of it. Um, In the idea that Jesus, uh, there was no place to stay at the inn, no place for him to stay. So they had to stay in the Middle Eastern house, which is very small. So they put him in the the place with the animals, which is the extra room where the animals stay. And so they had to put Jesus in a a feeding trough, basically a little feeding trough where you feed the animals because there was nowhere to put him. So this idea of the Son of God being born in this, you know, sort of inauspicious beginning. Um, And so we talk about the Son of God, but I want to talk about, uh, Jesus today for sure, don't worry. Uh, but I want to talk about somebody else in his life as well. Last week we talked about Zechariah and how Zechariah gets this vision from an angel that he's gonna, he and his wife are going to have a kid and that kid's going to be John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to pave the way and prepare the hearts of the world for Jesus. Now, Zechariah doesn't respond very well to that. He responds in unbelief, even though he is a divinely ordained uh, minister. He's a priest in the temple and he still re- reacts with unbelief. Uh, And and so we're actually shift away because Gabriel actually uh, appears to two people. He appears to someone uh, in the temple, uh, a man, uh, an older man, a man of renown, a man who has status in his position, who's respected in the temple, in the center of all religious uh, faith in the uh, uh, in the world, really in Jerusalem. And then God travels to the countryside, to a little place called Nazareth, to not not meet somebody in the center of religious uh, worship, but to go out to the country uh, to you know in the boondocks to go find a young lady and and give her some good news um, the title of my lesson today is how much you know that's the question I find myself asking a lot this time of year you know um, Jenny will ask, say hey I got this great idea for a gift uh, for somebody uh, and she'll pitch it really well she's gotten quite good at it where she pitches all the benefits of the gift and then I'm going to ask one inevitable question. I'm really bad at giving gifts. I like giving gifts, but I'm not necessarily good at it. But I like to give gifts. But I always end up asking one question, which is, how much is it going to cost, right? And um, that's kind of what, what it comes down to, is, is these gifts are great, but can we, can we afford to give gifts to this many people or this expensive of a gift? Um, to somebody and so sometimes this time of year you can, be, you can feel a little financial strain a little bit too. I'm not even a parent yet. I imagine when you become a parent you ask this question even more often uh, with your children. And so it's something that we, we're constantly aware of and, and it's something that's quite common in commercials even. Uh, you know what's scary in a commercial is, is that they don't tell you how much it costs. It's always a problem. They don't tell you how much it costs. You're like, that's probably pretty expensive. There's these Peloton commercials about that bike you get and you put it in your house. They never tell you how much the thing costs. And it looks so wonderful. And the people on it are so fit and beautiful and it's, it's wonderful. And I keep waiting for them to tell me how much it's going to cost. And they still have not told me how much that thing costs. But I, I'm scared to even look it up because I'm sure it's quite a bit of money. I'm, but the idea of how much, and even when we approach Jesus, we kind of approach with that same mindset. We approach everything in life with how much, how much it's going to cost me. How much is this going to cost me? And not just financially sometimes, but actually, how much is this relationship going to cost me? How much is this job? Am I going to be able to do this thing? And a lot of times we approach decisions in life with, with if it's a, is it a valuable decision? Is it a decision that makes sense to me? And we live in a country, in a world that's, that's putting more and more emphasis on the individual and what the individual uh, thinks. Uh, there was a time uh, when, when, you know, you, a lot of you uh, are very aware of this, but a time in our country when, when wars broken out. And there was a time when a draft would ensue. And, and people, without a doubt, would just sign up for the draft. They would. They would. In fact, they would kill themselves if they couldn't serve their country. And I began thinking recently, like, what if we had a draft now? How, and remember when a conscientious objector, like when when... Um, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, was a conscientious objector, and that was so rare. We have a lot of conscientious objectors today. We have like, I think, especially if it's like my peers, I think most of us uh, uh, will probably like, ah, I don't know about this whole like war thing. But I think a lot of times we approach decisions with, what, it, what's it going to cost me? Am I going to benefit from this personally, individually? Is it best? Who, who cares about the, the, the corporate or the communal? What's going to be best for me? We approach marriage like that love me for me. Are you going to make me change what I want to do? I watched a movie recently on marriage and it was all about two people who got divorced because they had their own dreams and sure it was good. They got divorced because they wanted to pursue their own dreams. Yeah, that makes sense in our country, right? Because we preach this idea of self-expression. The individual self-expression is the most important thing. Teach it to your kids, It trumps everything else. Okay. Now, now the world, the world in, in, in Jesus's time was a very different world. It's not the world that we uh, approach today. Uh, And in Luke chapter 1, we'll begin reading. Uh, Luke chapter 1, 26. Gabriel is going to appear to someone uh, here in uh, Luke chapter 1, 26. Uh, And it says, "...in the six months of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth." Nazareth of all places. Nowheresville. "...sends angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings!' You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Then the angel left her. I particularly like the English standards version, uh, their rendering of chapter 38. NIV says, may your word to me be fulfilled. ESV says, let it be to me as you said. And they go on, right? And I want to talk this morning about Mary. Mary's an interesting, uh, fascinating character. She, she jumps into a world that uh, is, uh, is, a kinda, is a world that has these standards uh, and these ways to uh, achieve certain status, just like ours. There are certain things to do in the community That will provide you certain status, right? Like if you said, I'm going to... If you said, oh, my son's in um, uh, medical school. People at work might go, oh, nice. You know, like there's certain things you can say that people go, wow. You know, like they kind of help them view you right in a certain way. Or sometimes we can... And our world's constantly changing with these things. Like... It used to be, and maybe still can be, like, oh, you're married or you're, sing- you're still single. Like, and that can be a, something that can be a kind of a detractor of status in the eyes of the community. Right? And Mary's, Mary's world was no different. In fact, this is uh, Plutarch's advice on marriage. Plutarch was a Roman. He says, uh, basically contrary. contrary, on the contrary, a virtuous woman ought to be most visible in her husband's company and to stay in the house and hide herself when he is away. This was Plutarch's advice on marriage. This is a Roman. This is a non-Jew, non-I don't even believe in God. This is like the pagan world perspective on women. Okay, Now let's get a Jew's perspective on women. It's the same thing. Don't let her show off her beauty in front of men or spend time talking with uh, uh, the women. It's supposed to be the women. A man's wickedness is better than a woman's goodness. Women bring shame and disgrace. This is the world that Mary lives in. And for her, for us, it's like, oh my gosh, that's awful. They're so backward, those ancient peoples. But the ancient peoples probably would look at us and go, what are they doing spending all that money on things? Those people are crazy. So they would would think we're just as crazy as they are, by the way, but but in different ways. We're crazy. They're crazy too. But we can just say, how can... It is a double standard for sure between men and women of how a man or woman would achieve status. Now, what's a virgin? So as, as... Mary, it says Mary's a virgin, right? Basically, it means that she's engaged to be married. She's non-married. But she's, she's specifically engaged to be married to this guy, Joseph. Now, a virgin at that time, commonly, uh, would be 12 or 13 years old. Pretty wild. Now, you might think, well, the guy is super old. No, no, the husband oftentimes was 14, 15 as well. When, you're, when you die at, you know, 35, you've got to start having kids early, okay? You don't have much time. So, uh, you know, people just died sooner back then. So you had to, you had to start building a family earlier. That's basically what it was. So, you had, so this is a 12 or 13 year old young lady in Mary. And God decides to go to her with probably, undoubtedly, maybe, possibly the most important role in the history of Christianity to a 12 year old young lady. And by the way, he just went to like a religious dude in Jerusalem and it didn't go so well. He didn't even believe. It's Mary's Mary's cousin's uh, husband. So why Mary? I began getting obsessed with this idea of why did God choose Mary? It kind of goes against everything we think that someone should do. In the same way that we approach relationships with this idea of how much will it cost, also in our world, we approach almost everything. uh, Every new relationship begins with a resume. Uh, You only get into UVA or JMU if you first apply. You have to meet certain, right, Qualifications. You only get a job if you apply. You have a resume. And now you can only get married if you, have, if you have a great online profile. Right? Like it walks on the beach and little cute dogs. And, oh, I like that guy. I like his profile. I like his resume. Let me go ahead and marry that dude. He's got a great resume. Right? Whether it's true or not. Right? But oftentimes we, we won't commit to somebody unless there's a great resume. You know, Mary is on the bottom of every totem pole you can imagine. She's a woman in that society. She's 12. She lives in Podunk County, USA, right? She lives out in the boonies. There's not, there, uh, his, uh, archaeologists believe, and anthropologists, that about 20 families lived in Nazareth. It is a small town. Small town. God chooses her. And the reality is, is that God has never cared about the resume. He cares about the response. And we sometimes get obsessed with the idea of a resume. And we approach God constantly with the resume. And we we get so guilty over, uh, and we think, what's it going to cost me? Can I really commit to Jesus? Can I really become a disciple? Can I really hang in there and not quit? And it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to give up. Can I really do this? And we get guilty because of our resume. Or we get really prideful and arrogant because of our resume. Either way, our resume plays a pretty big role in our construction of our relationship with God. But I love that now now is the time for God to act. He saved the Israelites from in the Exodus, right, from Egypt. He's performed all these miracles. He's brought them out. Israel has sinned. They've broken the covenant, they've broken the arrangement. They have every right to just be cast aside by God because they have failed. God decides no, I'm giving them one more chance. I'm going to go down to them and I'm going to give them the ultimate propitiation for sins. I'm going to give them the ultimate sacrifice to show them how much I love them. And who's the candidate? For the vessel for which I will provide that sacrifice? The last person you'd think, world. And I love that God is constantly telling us, and constantly, even in this story, saying, I, am, I don't see you the way the world does. And that is an encouraging thought. Yeah. I don't see you the way the world does, Mary. What's, God's, what's it, Gabriel's first words, from God to Mary? Greetings, favored one, to the Catholics, right? The original uh, is, is Hail Mary, full of grace right it's a little bit better probably translation to say greetings favored one." you are not that you have the grace but you god actually sees you with favor god looks on you with favor favor is another word for status or honor so basically god thinks you are the cat's pajamas god thinks you are incredible god highly esteems you can you imagine a 12-year-old woman, a 12-year-old girl, her whole life just hearing, hey, when you get married, just stay in the house, lock the doors, lock the, don't talk to anybody, even though, don't even talk to other women. Your job is to raise kids and just shut up. But God says, hey, um, I, have a, I have a job for you. I believe in you. Ah, that's not a chauvinistic God. That's not a, a world can hate on God. came down and said, Mary, you're my, you're my girl. Let's do this. And he says, greetings, favored one. You know, it's funny too. Why not Joseph? Joseph is the man. Joseph is also related to David, according to Luke. That's kind of important, being related to David. Doesn't it make sense to go to Joseph and say, hey, Joseph, you're a guy. Cool. Uh, you know, the world sees you as great. He doesn't, we don't even hear from Joseph. Yeah. Where are he at? I don't know. God's like, no, Mary. You're the one. And, and it would be so tempting for all of us, and I think as, as we all approach God, even now, even on sort of an obligatory time of year to, to attend church, and maybe the last few months have been really difficult for you, and your resume is lacking. Maybe the last few years, maybe your whole life, you feel like, you know what, if you honestly looked at my resume, it would, it would be scandalous. It would be, I couldn't even talk about it without. Maybe you're at that place this morning. And so if you walk away with one thing today, no That God has never cared about the resume. The entire Bible, this isn't the first, by the way. God's constantly chosen the last to be first. He's constantly done it because he's trying to make a point that we should not find security in this world. doesn't matter what your PTA president says or your school or your government or your friends. That's not the way to parent. That's not the way to build friendship. That's not the way to go about love. And sure there are good things that the world teaches, sure. But we every year we get sucked in, I think, to this worldly uh, conception of what it means to be good. It's all about status. In a world where women had little or no place, God calls her highly favored. Now let's look at Mary's response. Look at Mary's question. I'm doing it on time. i doing okay, gotta close out five minutes. Look at Mary's question. She says, she asks one question. How's this gonna be since I'm a virgin? Why that question? There's a lot of questions. Hey, you're going to have a kid. That kid's going to be the king of Israel. She could go, uh, yeah, one question. Um, Israel doesn't have a king and hasn't had a king in 400 years. She could ask that question. She could ask, hold on, I have no, she could ask a lot of questions, but she she, she asked this question for a reason. Did you pick up why? Why why would she ask that? Why would she ask, how is this going to happen to am a virgin? She lives in a very uh, particular environment. One that will notice if an unmarried woman has a little baby bump. And what will happen to that woman who has a little baby bump in a community, a 13-year-old girl. What will happen to her? She's beginning to realize the cost of obedience. Oh, the social consequences of obedience. And she's putting it together, I think. Hold on. And she doesn't doesn't now she still believes, and she I love that she ends it with. Let it be to me, as you've said. Oh, I just love Mary. She's incredible. She gets this. She's 12. Sometimes we're like, well, we want our daughters to be 17 or 18 before they decide to become a disciple. Because then they can. Hey, if she's ready, she's ready. Mary decided at 12 to give birth to the son of God. Come on. If someone's ready, they're ready. Let's not make a rule about it. okay? they're ready. They're ready. Mary. God didn't say, well, let's let her be. uh, No, Mary was ready to have faith. And I want to encourage you this morning, the only thing that we have to worry about, don't worry about the resume. Worry about the response. And what's great is that a response of obedience is easy when you realize how much God favors you. And God comes to you, and when, when Mary heard God favors me, like she was probably like, yeah, me? Mary? Just little old me? Like I, you know, but, and she's so overwhelmed with gratitude that of course obedience is in play. Of course she's going to do whatever God tells her to do. But she knew there was going to be a cost to obedience. Would Joseph still marry her? That's not in, I mean, I don't know. Would she be a widow? Would she, would she have a kid at 12, had no income? How's she going to raise this kid? There's a lot of things to worry about. But she says, let it be to me as you've said. Uh, she finds her status, not in what the world thinks about her, but in her, her obedience to God. It would have been easy to quit, I'm sure, even after saying, let it be to me, as you've said. It would have been easy. Every day she walks around that tiny community of 20 families showing more and more every day. And what people would say about her, how they would gossip about her and slander her, and maybe even give her death threats. And how would she be treated? As much as we can tell, she would have been isolated. She would have, people, would have, people would have avoided her as unclean or, or you know, sexually explicit. As in, they would have avoided her as a bad example. Don't look at her telling their kids, don't look at her. Look at using her as a cautionary tale. Don't look at Mary. Look what she's done. She knew that there would be a high cost to obedience. But she says, let it be to me. You know, Mary wasn't perfect. Uh, For for the rest of her time raising Jesus, she's going to have issues. You know, in Luke 2, when he's born, it says, But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What does that mean? It means she didn't really know exactly what God was doing, but she said, I'm going to treasure these things, and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to ponder them. Right. Obedience does not mean that you understand nope. yep. perfectly. A lot of times we live in a world, i got to understand everything. Hold on. She didn't know. She didn't get it. Nobody got it, really. Uh, nobody really got I mean, but she pondered them in her heart. Later on, when Jesus gets lost at the temple when he's 12, right? And they find him, uh, Mary and Joseph are like, where is our son? They go and it says, and Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It's going to be a common theme in the Jesus household, okay? Mary's like, I don't understand what what he's saying. Later on, when Jesus is teaching in Mark 3, it says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge for him and they said, he is out of his mind. It's not just that Mary didn't understand. At some point, she was downright frustrated with her son. What are you doing, Jesus? Why are you? She's she's struggling with her relationship with her son. And as he gets older, he's less and less her son and more and more the son of God. And she's having to wrestle with this. But Mary is showing us that following God is not perfection. It's a relationship. You're going to disagree. You're going to struggle. You're going to have a hard time. But she never quits. She never gives up. My last thought is, it's changing from how much will it cost to how much did it cost him? And I love that when Mary says, let it be to me as you've said. And as she's with her son, as he's dying on the cross and grabs his bloody body as he's dying, she probably doesn't know that just a few hours earlier when Jesus was asking God, why, why must I die for these people? That Jesus came to a place where he didn't understand either. And Jesus said the words, thy will be done, Father. I like to think that maybe he learned a little bit of that from Mama. Maybe. I don't understand. But we're still going to obey God. I don't understand. We're still going to do the right thing. I don't understand. We will never, ever quit. And Jesus, in the moment where I think if we all were asked the question, are we grateful that Jesus died for us? Sure we are. Immensely. How much did it cost him? What has been costly for him cannot be cheap for us. As much as we want to make it cheap, if it has cost him much, it will also cost us much. You know, as, as Mary gets older, uh, the last verse we have about her is in Acts one. It says, "This is when the church first begins. Jesus has already died at this point. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus." And with his brothers. As Mary grows up in her faith, she comes to this place where she's simply just another disciple in the church. She's just another disciple. Her brothers are there, they've wrestled through this, but it all began years ago when she said, Let it be to me if you said. She decided to become a Christian, she decided to subscribe to God's purpose. And the rest of her life, this is beautiful because Mary was nobody special. As much as we want to say, Mary, she was like this saint and and she has this halo around her head. She was a person like you and me. And she went out on faith. She didn't understand. She didn't know what, what, what would happen. But she knew that God loved her and she knew she wanted to love him back as much as she could. That's it. And she struggled and she failed and she blew it. And you know what? The best thing, the pinnacle of her relationship with Jesus was that she got to be part of his church just like us. When God interrupts our life, we go, whoa, what's this going to cost me? But if we really do a cost-benefit analysis and realize, yes, it will cost you something. But everything in life that has value has a cost. And that's what Jenny would always say, right, when she pitches that gift to me. What's always the way she gets me? Always. But it's expensive. But it'll be worth it. How much more so with this? But it'll cost so much. That's not it's the wrong question. The question is is it worth it? And if it's worth it, then let's follow God together. Yep. Amen. What's our response, church? Are we thinking about, I can't become a Christian, I can't become a disciple because of what it'll cost me. I, sh- I can't parent my kids with discipline and actually follow through with what the Bible says about parenting because what it'll cost me. Maybe my kids won't like me anymore. Maybe parents at school will think I'm conservative and closed-minded. Maybe, I don't know what'll happen. What will it cost me if I for- uh, forgive others of their sin against me? What will it cost me if I share my faith? What will it cost me if I make God the king of my schedule? What will it cost me if I confess at this point I've done so much I can't confess? What will it cost me? Wrong! question. What does it cost him? And is it worth it? And it's so much easier to follow God when you know the resume does not matter. And in a world where the status is informed by a different pundit every day, that just creates more depression, more stress, and more social anxiety for you and your kids, because what's good and what's wrong, what's good and evil, right and wrong, changes every day. Based on this, their social feed, on, on their social media, based on what the world says, it changes every day. That is a high stress environment. You want healing from that. God has said, Listen, come to me, for what is right and wrong with me has never changed. And I pray that this morning, church, we can be a light to our community and decide, just like Mary, hey, I don't understand. And hey, I might argue with God sometimes. And I may argue with some of the people in this room sometimes. But I am never quitting. I am never giving up. Let it be to me as you have said. Let's pray. we'll close Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.